The Feminist Survival Project is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find out more at frolic.media. Being part of Frolic means that our sponsors for podcasts are books. And can you imagine a better thing than having your sponsor be books? This week's episode of the Feminist Survival Project is brought to you by Wind River Undercover by Lindsay McKenna from Zebra Books. For native Guatemalan Ana Navarro, nothing is more satisfying than capturing drug traffickers for the USDEA. Her career has always been her focus, but just as she's beginning to yearn for something more, she's given a brand new assignment with Agent Gabe Whitcomb. Gabe's worked some treacherous assignments in the past, but this one raises every alarm, and not just because his partner is a gorgeous woman with a sniper's deadly aim. Lindsay McKenna is affectionately known as the top gun of women's military fiction, so if you love heroes in uniform or undercover, this book is for you. But P.S., this federal agent has a cowboy past. Oh yeah. You can find Wind River Undercover by Lindsay McKenna wherever books are sold. Find out more at kensingtonbooks.com. Welcome to another episode of the Feminist Survival Project 2020. In this episode, uh, I'm Emily, by the way. Oh, and I'm Amelia. And on this episode, we are going to some more basic health behavior theory that I love talking about. We've mentioned it briefly in other episodes, but I think it deserves a full episode of its own. And that is <laughs> something that's called social support theory, mm -hmm. which comes from my very first semester in the doctoral program. My class was at eight o'clock in the morning. It was taught by Dr. Michael Reese. A doctoral and class at 8 a.m.? Yeah. That sucks. I loved my models and theories class though. Like I aced it. I loved it. Well, sure. And one of my favorite models was the social support theory, which was originally developed in the early 80s. And it's, it's one of those models in health behavior where once somebody says it, it's a forehead smack, like just like, of course, that's how it works. But when you break it down that way, you start to get like a deeper understanding of yourself and of your relationships and your people that you're giving social support to, and it helps clarify a lot of things. So From seeing it in a doctoral textbook validated the kinds of support and the fact that they are real and they matter. Yeah. Because some of them, look, I'm going to spoil it a little bit. One of them is instrumental support, where you mm -hmm. try to help people do the thing they're trying to do. I really kind of thought that that was the only kind of support that was of any <laughs> value at all. If you're not helping me, why the fuck are you here? Yeah, it turns out they're all important. Yeah, it turns out they're all important. So there's four of them. According to social support theory, social support breaks down into four different components. And one of them, as Amelia said, is instrumental support. I remember very clearly taking the midterm exam and answering the question about social support. I described instrumental support as, if you are hungry, I give you a fruit roll-up. Mm -hmm. So this is, the technical definition here is tangible aid and service. So feeding people. I have a food example of this, actually. I had like a bank issue where my balance crossed below zero and they charged me $35, even though I had zero money in the bank. And right. I was in my office arguing with my bank about this. And uh, the other women who shared my office with me heard me having this conversation in the bank. And one of my office mates came by my apartment a couple of days later with a bag of groceries. Wow. Yeah. That's huge. 
Yeah, I am never going to forget that moment. It was instrumental support, totally unasked for, that like inspires me all the time. That if I'm feeling like shit, a thing I can do is like give some tangible support to somebody. Just like physically, what do you need right now? I want to give an example that comes from the Bon Appetit videos. Specifically, Claire Saffitz and the Gourmet Bakes. And if you haven't seen these listeners, if you would like hours and hours of YouTube mind-soothing videos, Bon Appetit videos are... Stakes-free, just entertainment. Just, yeah, just nice people helping each other out. It's great. Um, so Doing a this, thing that's hard but pointless. <laughs> it's fantastic. So Claire makes um, gourmet versions of commercial foods. And the source of instrumental support in that show consistently is Gabby. Gabby is the kitchen manager, and when Claire needs a mold, she says, Gabby, do we have any filters that are shaped like this? Gabby, do we have any straws that are shaped like this? Gabby, do we have any? And Gabby knows where the stuff is. Do we have a funnel? She knows what you're allowed to... Yeah, do we have a funnel? Yeah, yeah. I need one that's just a little bit bigger. And they go digging through boxes, and they know where to find the stuff. Gabby is the instrumental support in the Bon Appetit test kitchen. Yeah. So that obviously, I think it makes lots of sense to people, and it's very simple. Yeah. Do you have like a personal example of instrumental support, though? I have, I have a really good, I have a really good personal one. Okay. One that was personal for me is uh, a couple of years ago, my husband was out of town and I was just recovering from a really bad cold, really bad. And I had thrown my back out. So I was a mess. And then it snowed like a foot and a half and I had to go to like work. I had to go somewhere. I can't remember the details of why I absolutely had to go right then, but my driveway had been plowed but there was a pile of snow in front of the garage door and I had to shovel the snow in front of the garage door and I a my back could barely take it and b I would shovel one shovel full and I was so tired that I could I couldn't even lift the shovel and you Emily came down and shoveled like a foot and a half of snow from in front of my garage door I had totally forgotten that yeah I mean I had totally forgotten that Right, because for you, it was just like, oh, go help Amelia do this I'll thing. shovel some damn snow. Whatever. And you just like, why would you Because I've been there. <laughs> it was just a day in the life. Yeah. But like, for me, that was, I was in trouble. I don't know what I would have done if you hadn't come help Driven 40 out. minutes each way. Yeah. Like, it was, a, it, was a, it was a big deal for me because I needed that help. Yeah. And sometimes the only obstacle between you and doing the thing is just some goddamn, like, actual snow. help. Yeah. Technical definition, tangible aid and service. Yeah. It's one of the reasons that Doctor Who has a uh, sonic screwdriver, because they decided they never wanted the character of the doctor to be impeded by a locked door. They always wanted him to, or her, not to need a tool. They never wanted that to be the barrier. They yeah. wanted the doctor to have emotional barriers and ethical barriers. And come never just a locked door. Never just, I can't get in there because the door is locked. So they made their lives a little harder for uh, uh, dramatic storytelling purposes. Oh yeah, they wanted to make sure that uh, that the stories were always about not solving those kinds of problems, but yeah. the other kinds of support that we're about to talk about. Yes. So the second kind of support, the first was instrumental, which is just service and tangible aid, informational support. And I remember on my midterm exam, I said, informational support is when you're hungry, I tell you where the fruit roll-ups are. Mm-hmm. The technical definition is advice, suggestions, and information. Mm-hmm. And do you bon have a, a Bon Appetit example? I do. The Bon Appetit provider of informational support is Chris Morocco. 
He's a super taster and he can tell you what's missing from your recipe. Is it too salty? Does it need more of this or that? And what the specific issue is. He's the one who can explain to you what the ingredients are and what's wrong with the combination of flavors or what's good about them. And my informational support personal example is actually my therapist who uh, was like, so this is thing called connected knowing. Mm-hmm. There's uh, some books and research written about it. And I was like, oh, connected knowing is a thing. And I went and I read the things about it and it ended up being a significant portion of chapter six in our book. Mm-hmm. And it also ended up being a significant portion of how I reframed my understanding of how I communicate with a lot of people who do not share my communication style, which is not connected knowing, it's separate knowing. But a lot of people in my life are connected knowers. And just having that piece of information, my therapist is not particularly like directional. She doesn't like give a lot of it. She doesn't do a lot of teaching. She knows better than to do a lot of teaching with me because I will just like explain things to her of like why the thing she's explaining doesn't work. I'm not an easy client. (laughs) But like that was a piece of information that like it opened a door to a whole like world of research that I was totally unaware of. Informational support. My example is another one from you. And the big one that we talk about in the book is that when I was hospitalized, and it turned out I had appendicitis, but also where it came from in the bigger picture was, you know, repressed rage. <laughs> we, we make the joke in the book that like how you express your love is by bringing books. It's peer-reviewed research. But like, no, but really. No, but like for real though. And genuinely reading that big pile of books in combination with some of the other practices I was doing was genuinely life-changing, just a piece of information, like the sentence, rage is held in the body. To see that on a piece of paper and confirm, oh, that's information I did not have before, and now I can act on that. I was literally today just on a podcast called Shrink Chicks. So two LMFT therapists were interviewing me about both Come As You Are and Burnout, by the way. They're big fans, and I hope they invite you on too. They, and I was telling this origin story of burnout about how like, you're like, yeah, no shit. Remember when that like saved my life twice? And they were like, what was that? What did that feel like for you to like have something that was so important for your sister? And I was like, I don't know. I've never thought about it and we've never talked about it. <laughs> it's probably like the snow thing where like you just <laughs> forgot about it because it was yeah, just no this is what I do. Of course, that's what I do. I'm going to give you a big pile of books. And for me, I remember it because it literally changed my life. I mean, I remember it. Yeah, but like it was no big deal for you. Yeah, it's it's what I it's what I had to. It's you, like literally the least I could do. You did forget how life changing it was, like the saving my life level of of helpfulness. Yeah, I you were could baffled. not possibly have understood or anticipated yeah. how little you knew. <laughs> yeah, because readers have come as you are. I don't mean to laugh. I don't mean to laugh. Oh, it's like it's just true. So you were baffled by readers of Come As You Are who also needed that same information and how transformative that was for them. And I was like, yeah, it was transformative for me too. Remember that time that, you know, I was in the yeah, hospital? Yeah, no, and I, I had not at all put that together. Like, yeah. I, I did not, I had not remembered that time when this information was new to you. Because you also just like absorbed it really fast and integrated into this enormous change. Like over the course of a year or two. Less. Eight months, I think. Yeah, you were living as if you had always known this. Because once you do know that like emotions are like a physiological process in your body with a beginning, a middle, and an end, you can't unknow it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Information. Mm -hmm. It's powerful. Yeah. Well, now I feel bad because you've had examples of me and I haven't had examples. <laughs> That's okay. Just, the, the big one at the end is... The, the big one at the end. Okay. I'll yeah. be helpful at the end. Yeah. Uh, so the third one <laughs> is the one we hate. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be there for you. <laughs> what does that mean? There You'll for you. will be there for I'm me for too. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Okay, but so, what are you doing for me? The third kind of social support is what emotional have you support. Done for me lately? Ooh, yeah. So uh, on my midterm exam, I remember very clearly, emotional support is when you are hungry and I empathize and say, mm, that sounds really hard. <laughs> and I, uh, this is why I needed to read this in an academic book. Right. Because when in you order say to have any credibility, like you're like, that has no value. Now, the it technical definition out. is expressions of empathy, love, trust, and caring. Right? Yeah. And kind of the whole thing about writing burnout. Um, so we were reading all this really difficult science, affective neuroscience and comparative psychology. Um, difficult. I mean, I'm trained in how to read this stuff and it's hard even for me. Right. And the moral of the story just kept being connection and love and turning yeah. toward each other's difficult feelings with kindness and compassion. Yeah. Which that is not how we were raised. That is not what we were taught. No. That is not the world we grew up in. No. Like that's not Delaware. Yeah. We're, we were not the only ones who were raised to believe that like vulnerability and sharing and connection are Oh, if we were the only taboo. ones, Brene Brown would not have a career. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, right? It's not like we had some extreme childhood where we were isolated and no, no, no. Like we just had sort of slightly dysfunctional, yeah, normal amounts of just regular, just regular, just regular, just regular emotion, dismissing and isolation. <laughs> <laughs> just your typical amount, you know. So we... It was a struggle for us to recognize that emotional support actually is incredibly important and has biological impacts. The way to make this tangible, I think, is less through thinking about human examples. And like, if you imagine, if you feel bad, your pets like automatically have a reaction to your emotions. Like Olive, our little dog, like if I'm like lying in bed in distress, she comes over and licks my face and lies next to me. Aww. And she's just present. She's just one of those dogs who's like present. Intuitive. Yeah. She wants to be there for you. Yeah. And what does that do for me? It increases my oxytocin levels. It reduces my cortisol levels. Like we know from the research, there are these real biological consequences of just fucking being there for someone, of trust and emotional presence, turning toward difficult feelings with kindness and motherfucking compassion. I want to tell another story about ways when I didn't believe this was true. I yeah. remember when I was a kid, there was a Sesame Street cartoon on how to take care of a dog. You give the dog water, you give the dog food. And the most important thing, you pet him, was at the end. And most important of all, you pet him. And I was like, how can petting be more important than feeding? Yeah. Just and then you read Harry Harlow's research. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh shit. Yeah. I'm important thing is you pet him. If, if, if the dog has a choice between, you know, fur mother and, and, and feeding mother, they're going to choose fur, fur mother. mother. 
as much as possible. What? The comfort and being held. Yeah, we, it's so easy to recognize this when it comes to babies. Like human infants will literally die of loneliness. You meet all their other needs, but you don't hold them enough. Yeah. Literally, they die of loneliness when they do this. They can only do this research all the way to death in rats, obviously. They cannot, yeah. for <laughs> obvious ethical, ethical reasons, ever do this in humans. But if you meet all of a rat's needs and just isolate it entirely, the stress hormones get so intense that it eats, breaks down the walls of the digestive tract and the rat dies of septicemia. Yes. Literally, it kills social mammals. Yeah. So social support, emotional support. Yeah. Turns out it's not bullshit. Oh, my bon appetit example of emotional support. Oh, Rhoda. Rhoda, 100%. Yeah. She very rarely appears on camera, but she's known as like the the one who'll just come on and be nice to Claire when she's at the day three curse and Claire's so frustrated and nothing's working out and she's done it a hundred times and she just wants to give up. And then Rhoda comes in and says, you're doing a great job. You can do it. I believe you in you. Yeah. Yeah. You're so close right now. This is really good. And you just need to do that. You're going to be great. You can yeah. do it. Emotional support. Emotional support is Rhoda. Do I have a personal example of emotional support? I have a personal example of giving emotional support. Oh, that's of exciting. Not, of not realizing how valuable it was. My husband has had many, many, many surgeries. And one of the jobs of the wife is to wait in the waiting room until the surgery is over and then to go in the back. And when they wheel them out from surgery and like sit and wait for the patient to wake up and just be there when they wake up. I've done that a lot. And I, I did not know how important it was. Turns out it matters a lot. It matters so much. That someone is there. That the wife is there. Yeah. When the person yeah. returns yeah. to consciousness after surgery. Yeah. Like I, I've, I've done this so many times. And early on, it was before I'd read the research, <laughs> before <laughs> I believed that it mattered. I was just going through the motions. <laughs> and then I realized as I learned, oh, this is a thing. Like I could see yeah. how soothing it is for him that I'm just like there. That is a particularly powerful example because anesthesia is medically induced freeze where you're shut down and trapped in your own body and another person being there and being in a calm, positive state of mind is the first sign that our brain uses to signal that this is a place of safety. safety. So the person is coming back into consciousness out of freeze into a place of safety and not into a place of danger. And trauma can happen in that process like if a person emerges from anesthesia without the sort of loving presence of another person it makes it more difficult <laughs> it makes it more difficult for oh, wow. the person to feel like they're coming back to the world in to a place of safety mm -hmm. i think rich's favorite kind of support is instrumental support mm -hmm. but he's also super good at emotional support mm -hmm. writing writing a book is terrible Mm -hmm. It was very, very hard. There were a lot of days while I was writing Come As You Are when he would come home from work and find me literally lying on the kitchen floor, crying, staring at the ceiling fan, <laughs> feeling like I can't do this. Like it is so hard, but it's so important and it has to happen and I don't think I can do it. And it's not like he knew more about how to write a book than I did. It's not that he knew more about the sex science than I did. It's that he could relate to the feeling of being unable to accomplish a creative project 
and the sort of like despair <laughs> that comes mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. And he could like, just like normalize it, be like, this is part of the process. Like you're working so hard. You're so good at these things. You're just like, totally <laughs> just like massaging my ego. Like you have to do to people sometimes when they're doing mm-hmm. big stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a, uh, it turns out emotional support. Uh, again, I would not have recognized that for what it was if we hadn't read the research that said it's actually super important that yeah. people get that. Because yeah. the cure for burnout is not self-care. It cannot be self-care. The whole point of burnout is you do not have enough left inside you to care for yourself. It has to be all of us caring for each other. And one of the ways that we care for each other, it turns out, is c- turning toward each other's difficult feelings of kindness and compassion. In fact, maybe the most important. And also maybe the most straightforward because it doesn't depend on your having access to the Fruit Loops if a person is hungry or money to pay for stuff. It doesn't depend on your knowing something they don't know. Emotional support is a thing most people have access to most of the time if they can turn towards someone else's difficult feelings with kindness and compassion. And it can be like the key thing that helps a person finish their book. Yes. Or recover from surgery. Mm-hmm. Both of which are enormous projects in entirely yeah. different ways. I'm also going to mention that conductors do a lot of things logistically. I mean, there's the whole traffic cop aspect of you come, you go louder, softer, you know, the stuff that people assume that conductors do, but actually a huge part of the job is making sure that everyone's comfortable, making sure that everyone feels encouraged and loved and safe. Unless your singers feel encouraged and loved and safe, their bodies are not in a place of physiological safety and the sound they produce will not be as good as the sound they produce when their bodies are truly in balance. Which sounds super woo-woo. But, but it's, it's just fi- biology. Not, for people who are interested in the biology of this, I refer you to The Polyvagal Theory by mm-hmm. Stephen Porges, which talks specifically about the ways that the voice in particular is influenced by feelings of safety, love, and connection. Mm-hmm. It's, that's some of the real hard science, though. Yeah, and... It's part of the conducting job that is hard to teach um, and that a lot of conducting teachers sort of refuse to talk about because you're supposed to just intuitively know. And for those of us who grew up in households where we didn't learn that that was valuable and necessary, um, you know, it it is a learned skill. You can just learn how to do it. It, so self-reliance is a core American value yeah. and a feeling of like safety and love. You'd be self-reliant for that. You should feel yeah. safe on your own. Yeah. Not need somebody else to create an environment of holding. No. <sighs> Turns out people who need people are the luckiest people. Except that it's all people. That's all people. We all need people. I guess the ones who recognize their need for other people is what they know. need. I don't know. So, uh, pop quiz. What was the first form of social support? Instrumental support. Right. Gabby. Gabby in the kitchen. Gabby in the kitchen. Do we have a mold this shape? I'm going to give you a fruit roll-up. The second form was? Informational. Chris Chris Morocco. Here's what's missing from this flavor profile. Here's a stack of books. Here's a stack of books. Here's actually, here's this whole body of research. Mm Mm-hmm dive in. Mm -hmm. Uh, Informational support, advice, suggestions, and information. Mm -hmm. Third, emotional support. Rhoda. Hashtag feelings. Mm -hmm. You can do it. Cheerleading is actually genuinely important. Mm -hmm. And the fourth form of social support should be used very sparingly. Mm -hmm. And that is appraisal support. 
This is like for professional use only pretty much. Right. Almost. Um, so on my midterm exam where I was writing all these definitions, appraisal support I defined as you tell me you're hungry and I explain my view of your personal failings that make it difficult for you to get access to the fruit roll-ups. <laughs> and I would just love if random everyone would just explain to me yes, what's please. wrong with me that I haven't got the food that I need. Oh, the, uh, the technical definition is information that is useful for self-evaluation. So Self-evaluation is hard and uncomfortable, and it's really not anybody's business who's not extremely close to you or being paid to help you. Right. There are very few people in the world whom I feel good receiving information that helps me with self-evaluation, because self-evaluation necessarily implies that there's something I could be doing better, mm -hmm. which necessarily means that there's something I'm not doing perfectly. Mm -hmm. which it's all too easy, especially if you were gender socialized female to get taught that as a feminine person, if you're not perfect, you have failed entirely. So mm -hmm. if a person offers me information that's useful for self-evaluation, they've just offered me information that is useful for beating the shit out of myself. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to hear it from a lot of people. No. So like Rich can give me self-evaluation research. He's really good at it. Just like basic stuff my therapist, and you, mm -hmm. which I only know because of the big story. So this is a story we told in our XOXO talk where we are getting toward the end of writing the complete draft of Burnout for our editor, Sarah. But at the same time, I'm writing my TED Talk and I kind of drop out of writing Burnout because I'm like, TED Talk, I have to write my TED Talk. This is really hard. I'm writing my TED Talk. And I got pretty stressed out. It's hard. It's a very difficult task. And I was, um, my stress, even though I process, I teach about stress management for a living and I'm like totally good at it. I was over my threshold. I had lost my capacity to recognize how stressed out I was, which is basically the definition of burnout. And uh, when I get too stressed out, when I'm over my threshold, I become not the most pleasant person to be around. A total fucking bitch. <laughs> I was a little short mean just <laughs> I really didn't intend to be fuck? and I would not necessarily have agreed in the moment that that's how I was being but so Amelia was going to go with me to Ted and uh, she had some like difficulties with her travel arrangements and I in my exhausted overwhelmed state said well fine maybe you just shouldn't go and uh, and what did you do when I did that well, first of all, there was zero chance that I wasn't going because we were invited to do a thing on Ninja Ted and I was going to get to meet Neil Gaiman. So I was going to go no matter what, just for the record. So there was no way you were just going to be like, well, fine, fuck you, you crazy bitch. I'm not going to go because you had in, ulterior motives for going. You were not just going to be my emotional support peacock. You were in going all to honesty, if I wasn't going to meet Neil Gaiman, I might, you might have, have been, been like, fuck you, whatever, bitch. <laughs> but I did get to meet Neil Gaiman and it was all worth it. All no. worth it. Yeah. Um, because I know that you have the capacity to deal with your own stress and you don't necessarily need an intervention. But because you were also taking the stress out on me, I felt like it was perfectly appropriate for me to be like, I'm stealing your dogs now. You are over your capacity to cope. You need to go to the beach because I know 
that when you go to this particular bed and breakfast in Rhode Island, it's on the ocean and you go there and you come back better. I know for a fact that works for you, but you couldn't do it because Rich couldn't take care of the dogs. So I took, and I felt like that was an okay No, I'm just going to muzzle through. It's fine. I can do it. It's fine. I don't need any help. And I'm like, I'm not giving you any choice. I am taking your dogs and you have no excuse. Yeah. So So, it was a combination of the uh, instrumental support of just like taking the dogs off my hands and the appraisal support of saying, you're over your limit. You can't see it, but you are. Yeah. And my response was, I'm fine, but fine. I'll go. If you want me to go, I will go. <laughs> and uh, so now, I went. Also, in all honesty, I kind of thought that you appreciated it more in the moment. I sort of thought you you were like, no, you were not at all like, yeah, you're right. You at no time ever said that. Not <laughs> until not I until got you got there. there. Yeah, I checked into my room. I walked out onto the terrace with this vista view of the ocean rolling into this pebble shore, and I felt my chemistry shift instantaneously. And I started texting you apologies, like you're right. I was my limit. I totally needed a break. You're totally right. Yeah, I think because I knew I was so confident and so sure. Yeah, that I was going to help you. Like you knew what helped. You knew I was past my limit. That I didn't even see your resistance to it before you left. I was just oh. like, oh, she, she must know as well as I do that this is going to help her. Yeah. No, you didn't. You, until you got there. Yeah. Hmm, funny. So I needed you to say the thing out loud and to eliminate both the insight barrier, but even more the, the technical barrier of not being able to get away for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. So not, not everyone in our lives is a person who can give us this kind of feedback. Like if you imagine just like a sort of superficial friend or just a coworker saying you're over your stress limit right now and you need to go home and take care of yourself. If you genuinely are over your stress limit, it's likely that you would respond to that with even more negativity right. than yes. if they said it while you were kind of okay. When you were kind of okay. Like it, it takes a special kind of like trust and willingness. Like this person knows me well enough to maybe know something I don't know. Like my therapist, she knows me well enough to maybe know something I don't know. So even if I disagree with her, her point of view is worth taking into account. And she often turns out to be right about things. Not always. No. But, no, perfect. but often enough. Yeah. So it takes that level of knowing this person knows you well enough and believing that there is a kind enough intention behind it that they're not just criticizing you. Right. Because criticism the reasons, leads to defensiveness. I think that's one of the reasons people avoid therapy is because they know that they're going to have to look at some of the things that they could do differently. And that's a scary thing to do. So what's the appraisal support in Bon Appetit? I couldn't think of an example. Hmm. Because it's, Bon Appetit is so much not about personal choices. It's about what's available in the room and what the techniques are and what the ingredients are and what the tools are. Like maybe one of the, like, yeah, it's so much not about Claire. Yeah. It's not about Claire at all. I mean, I can imagine them in meetings after like a long run of Claire 
being totally miserable during gourmet bakes and being like, Claire, it seems like you hate doing gourmet bakes. Like, do we need to change the way we do this? Is there another way that we can look at how it is? And then all of a sudden there's like three gourmet bakes in a row where Claire's just much happier. Yeah. 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 It's, so there's not, so we don't have an example, but we do have that one enormous example of like in the, like it made it possible for me to both do my Ted talk and then have any wherewithal left to be able to finish the book. Yeah. In what turned out to be a really difficult year. Yeah. Do you have an appraisal support story? Well, I am also in therapy. Oh yeah. I think, I think therapy is a really good example. I mean, just the fact that you pay a professional to explain to you what you're yeah. missing, both what you are missing in terms of what capacity you have inside you, but also what you're missing in terms of what you're looking at and perceiving in the world. Yeah. And they, therapists really do have like a much larger view of what's normal and like yeah. what resources you do actually have inside you. Yes. And what like other people have that you know you don't have that thing, but no, it's actually not normal that you experience it that way. Mm -hmm. That's your dysfunction. That can be very affirming. Oh, oh yeah. No. Yeah. A lot of people in therapy get an experience of normalization that actually everybody goes through a sense of common humanity. Everybody experiences things like that. Most of my experience of therapy is being told that the thing that I have treated as normal forever is, uh, no, that's not what it's like for other people. That's just you. Yeah. Oh, oh. When oh, I started, that explains that. When I started doctoral school, I went back into therapy, not because I felt a need for therapy at that moment, because I knew it was going to be hard. So I was like, all right, I'm starting my doctoral program. So I'm starting therapy. So I, I found a new therapist and I go to her office and I say, here's these things. Yes, I have clinical depression. And I'm, you know, just summing up my whole life for a stranger. And she's talking about depression and she says, do you ever think that maybe your depression has something to teach you? All right. And I burst into tears and just like dissolved into a puddle of, that's <laughs> no, no, that's impossible. And she told me years later, she was like, yeah, I thought I'd never see you again after that. Because <laughs> people don't like to hear those kind of things that they don't agree. I don't know why. Yeah, people get really resistant. Yeah. When they're like, when their nose gets pointed to a thing they haven't wanted to look at. Yeah. And a therapist's job is to like keep pointing the person's nose in that direction at that thing. And they'll be like, no, -uh, for <laughs> like years until yeah. eventually they're like, so one thing I've noticed is this seems to be true. And the therapist is like, that's I literally a great told you that the first day. <laughs> no, <laughs> they're like, that's a great insight. <laughs> They somehow are good enough human beings to resist. Yeah, I told you so. Like, I've been saying that for four years, Emily. Yeah, exactly. All right. Yeah. Shut up. Yeah, I think it was a year and a half before I was finally like, oh my God, my depression has something to teach me. <laughs> it was a solid year and a half at least. Yeah. Did we mention appraisal support should be used sparingly? And yeah. only in a context where people know each other really well and have a deep enough trust in the other person's kind intention that you can receive information that helps with self-evaluation that will not be experienced as just criticism. And you give that caveat both so that people who are tempted to give appraisal support remember to avoid it unless they are invited to do so. Yes. And people who receive appraisal support it, to evaluate 
the quality of the relationship where someone is offering that, if someone does offer that to you and they're qualified to offer it to you, it might be hard to hear, but it might be worth it. Yeah. Your depression might have something to teach you. And in most circumstances, it is not the thing you should turn to. It is so easy to feel like you understand somebody else's situation and you just need to explain to them what their situation is and then they <laughs> will understand their situation and they will change everything in response to your powerful insight. That's not how that works. That is not how that works, unfortunately, yeah. because you might understand their situation, but explaining that situation to them is only going to help them if they are ready. And yeah. we will do another episode on the trans theoretical model, also known as the readiness to change model. We'll just do a series on like Emily's health behavior models and theories. Drawing parallels to Bon Appetit videos. Yeah, that's what our podcast is now. This is our show. <laughs> So hopefully that's helpful. You can look at your relationships and figure out what kind of social support you enjoy receiving, what kinds you enjoy giving, when a different kind of social support is more appropriate for a different circumstance. And it's just this concrete little way to think about the ways we show up for each other. No, but actually feelings are super important. Emotional support, instrumental support, informational support, appraisal support, generally in that order. So we're talking about this because this is the Feminist Survival Project for people who feel overwhelmed and exhausted by everything they have to do and yet still somehow worried that they're not doing enough. That's burnout. And the cure for burnout is not self-care. It's all of us caring for each other. So what we're talking about is really four categories of ways we help each other. And people are going to have different levels of comfort with giving certain kinds and receiving certain kinds. And that's worth that's worth. There will be people uh, who have no idea why it feels so awkward for us to talk about emotional support. There are people who like, that is the place they go. I think that's the majority of people actually. And that's, that's great. That is so good for the world. It is the most important. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Shrimp gumbo, shrimp fricassee, shrimp. <laughs> Brad shrimp, butterfly shrimp, <laughs> coconut shrimp. <laughs> Why is it funny? Why is it so funny? It's not funny. It's not funny. I'm trying to talk about something serious. Emotional sport, instrumental sport, <laughs> coconut sport, <laughs> fried support. <laughs> Support gumbo. <laughs> Stop! Oh, my back. Oh. <laughs> Lemon butter support. <laughs> support casserole. Okay. We're clearly we're done. Yeah. That is the end of this episode. This has been uh, the Feminist Survival Project 2020. I am Emily. I am Amelia. And if you would like to follow us on the social media, you will find us at FSP2020 on both Instagram and the tweeters. You can contact us through our website, feministsurvivalproject.com, where you get to see like a nice headshot of us standing outside my house. And it helps the podcast if you rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.
emotional presence turning toward difficult feelings with kindness and motherfucking compassion. The Feminist Survival Project 2020 is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.